Thank you for supporting the Ministry of Victory Outreach International. We pray this message challenges, ignites faith, and that God would fan the flame that will produce a harvest of souls throughout the world. Of Ephesians. And let's begin in verse 10 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. Now we've been dealing with this section that is found in verse 10. Begins. And it says, these are the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we'll stop there, because this is the verse that we're going to be dealing with this morning. Father, we come before your presence this morning. And Lord, I pray that you continue to give me the words that you have for your precious people. Lord, we need your anointing and we need the unction of your Holy Spirit. Open the minds, illuminate the minds of every person here this morning so that they may be able to receive. Lord, we, we pray in this service for your convicting power. And as you convict and as you reprove and as you move upon us, that we will be able to respond to you. Oh, give us a heart of sincerity that we may respond this morning and that our lives may be transformed. And we will be careful to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, we're going to be dealing with the the armor that is mentioned here in chapter 6 of Ephesians. Now you notice he says, take on or put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now we're going to be dealing with this armor in the weeks to come, but this morning we're going to be dealing with uh, two pieces of the armor that Paul is referring to here in chapter 6. Now, just to refresh your memory, I would like to go back a little bit and, and uh, review some of the things that we dealt with so that we could all, we could just tie it in together. Now, Paul here is talking about warfare. Now, he's been saying, uh, he's been saying a lot of things in the whole book of Ephesians. He's been giving tremendous teaching. And then in verse 10, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In other words... Be strong, not in yourself, but be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In other words, put on Jesus. Let Jesus be manifested within your life. And then he says, put on the whole armor, not part of the armor, but put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against rulers of darkness and uh, this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is referring to 
He is saying, all these things that I have shared with you in the book of Ephesians, now it's up to you to put them to use, but there is someone that's going to be opposing you. There is an adversary that we have to contend with, and you and I are involved in warfare. So the Apostle Paul is talking about warfare, that as a child of God, whether you like it or not, you are involved in a warfare. And if you're going to be successful, and if you're going to be victorious, then we must put on the whole armor of God. Now, I mentioned to you before, in the, uh, the previous weeks, past weeks, I mentioned to you that we've all been enlisted in the army. Or you, in other words, you could say we've been drafted into the army of God. There's no exception. The, the Bible speaks about the church. It doesn't speak about the church as a bless me club, but it speaks about the church as a body, and it refers to the church in many analogies that we find in the Bible concerning the church. But one of the areas that the Bible speaks about the church, it speaks about the church as an army. As an army. We are the army of God. And each and every one of us have been drafted, we've been enlisted into the army of God. And I mentioned to you that we are all soldiers. Whether you like it or not, God purposed for you to be a soldier in the army of God. And there are many scriptures that we dealt with. Uh, scriptures in Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. When uh, Paul was uh, uh, speaking to Timothy, he mentioned to him, you're a soldier and endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And, and that... It, do not be entangled himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has called him to be a soldier. So we're all soldiers, and I mentioned that, that you have been drafted. You are in the army now. You want to call it Marines, uh, whatever you want to call it. We're in the army. We're in the army. We are soldiers of God. And then being soldiers and understanding that we are soldiers, we have also been called, called to warfare. And if you're called to warfare, and if anybody's going to go to war, you want to find everything about the enemy. You want to know everything about the enemy. And the Bible has a lot to say concerning Satan, concerning our enemy. The Bible wants us not to be ignorant concerning the enemy. The Bible wants us to be aware of his tactics and how he moves and how he tries to deceive and what his strategy is towards against the children of God. He wants us to understand. He wants us to be knowledgeable about the tactics and the devices of the enemy. And I mentioned to you and I read to you, uh, I brought out different uh, uh, things that the Bible speaks about, who Satan is, uh, the importance of knowing the enemy. And I mentioned to you in Ezekiel chapter 28 that he is called the anointed cherub. And John 16, he is the prince of the world. In Ephesians 2, he is the prince of the power of the air. In 2 Corinthians 4, he is the god of this age. In uh, Luke 15, uh, uh, Luke 11, he is the prince of demons. 52 times he is called Satan, which actually means adversary. 35 times he is called the devil, which actually is, means slanderer. 
He is called the old serpent, the great dragon, the roaring lion, the evil one, Abaddon, Apollyon, tempter, accuser, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. In John chapter 8, uh, he is described as a murderer and a liar. In Revelation chapter 12, he is an oppressor. In 1 Timothy, he is a perverter. In uh, 2 Corinthians, he is an imitator, trying to imitate everything of God. Uh, he is a deceiver. And the demons have uh, been here a long time, and they are cunning and clever, superhuman, and also invisible. And the Bible tells us to beware of the wiles of the devil. So as you could see, the Bible has a lot to say concerning the devil because we should be well aware of our adversary, the devil. Now, the reason why you have problems, and man, are we living in a generation of problems. In our church, I know right now, there are many of you that have problems. Many of you that possibly just barely made it into the service this morning, maybe you're under attack and you're going through problems and you have obstacles within your life. And the reason why is because you are in a warfare. The Bible says don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trials that will try you. Don't think it's strange when, when you all of a sudden are opposed and, and when you're going through trials and the fiery trials and the fiery dots that will come against you. Don't think it's strange. We have an adversary. We have uh, someone that we have to contend with. And that someone is the devil. So what does the Apostle Paul say? He wants us to be strong. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be able to stand. Don't be one of these wishy-washy Christians. They're going to be knocked down every time. And every time the devil comes, he knocks you down. But be able to stand. Even in the evil day, you'll be able to stand. And you'll still be standing. The Bible talks about making it. That we are able to make it. Now, God has given us everything that we need so we could make it. So many times we look for excuses. I can't make it because of those people that are around me, you know. I can't make it because uh, if you knew where I was living in the neighborhood that I'm in. I can't make it because uh, those Christians are not uh, the examples that they should be. They're, they're a bunch of phonies and I can't make it because nobody loves me. Listen, don't say I can't make it. That should not be part of our vocabulary if we're a child of God. They're all the resources that God has given unto us so that we will be able to make it. So the Apostle Paul says, okay, put on the whole armor of God. Now, let's deal with the armor of God, the armor that God has provided for us this morning. There are two pieces of armor that I would like to deal with, and we find them both in chapter 6 and verse 14. Now listen to what it says. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the first piece of armor that Paul is referring to this morning, he is referring to the belt of truthfulness. Uh, Paul 
when he was in prison, he had these guards that were guarding him. And, it, you know, history tells us that there were two guards that were guarding him all the time. He always had someone that was guarding him. And a Roman soldier that would stand by. And I could imagine Paul looking at this Roman soldier and looking at the outfit and looking at, looking at his uniform and his armament. And he started spiritualizing it. And he was able to bring out a, a spiritual lesson of the, uh, of the armament of the Roman soldier. And he brings it out. He brings out the different pieces. He's looking at the Roman soldier, and he begins to bring out the different pieces, and he brings out a spiritual lesson from each piece of armament in the Roman soldier. And he brings out, first of all, the belt of truthfulness, or gird yourself. Now, girding your loins meant gathering up the loose material of a tunic. Now, they used to wear, the soldiers wore a tunic, with a large squares of pieces of it's a large, large square a piece of material with holes in the head and also in the arms but if he was going to go to battle he would never go with his tunic hanging loose whenever he would get go to battle then he would put on his belt so that his tunic would not hang loose he was prepared for battle so the apostle paul is saying when it talks about girding your loins, and throughout the Bible you find that it talks about girding your loins. When they were going to go on a trip, they would say, gird your loins so you could go on a trip. And that meant putting on the belt that held everything together. So the Apostle Paul was bringing out that by putting on that belt, it actually symbolized preparedness, readiness, that you are ready for battle and it is very very important for a person to be ready for battle now how could you be ready for battle well truthfulness honesty integrity sincerity if you want to be an overcomer this morning the first thing you have to do is to be honest with God and be honest with yourself come to that place of taking a true, honest evaluation of your spiritual life. Do you know that the reason why some people never have the victory is because they're never honest? They're living a lie. They're going through the motions. They have a, a reputation that they try to live up to by uh, going through the motion and by living a life of hypocrisy. This is why the world says there's a lot of hypocrites in the church. And it's true that there's a lot of hypocrites in the church. If you're not living the life, if I'm not living the life, then we're a hypocrite. We're professing something that we're really not. If you were yesterday in one of those uh, parties somewhere, you were out there discoing, or if yesterday you were out with the worldly crowd and with the devil's crowd and all of a sudden on Sunday morning you put on a three-piece suit or you put on your suit and you put on a nice dress and you walk into the church real holy and, and raising your hands and speaking in tongues, then you're a hypocrite. You are professing something that you're not. So the first thing we have to do this morning, if we want to be victorious, if we want to be able to overcome the enemy, if we want to be able to win the battle, 
then we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to take a true evaluation of our spiritual condition this morning. Now, there are people that don't like to hear the truth. And this morning, we're, we're going to be saying, telling the truth, and we're going to be telling it like it is. And I hope, I hope that it disturbs some people, that it will disturb you enough that you will determine to do something about it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit convicts, reproves us of sin so that we can get so stirred up and get so uncomfortable that we begin to call upon God. And this morning I hope that people are stirred up enough to be able to call upon God. So what it's dealing with is dealing with our attitude. The attitude of, uh, of readiness the attitude, are we willing to commit our lives to Christ? Now, you know that not everybody has the attitude of, be, of willingness. Uh, are you really truly, do you really truly want to serve God all the way? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Do you really want to live an overcoming life? Do you, are you really not satisfied with the life that you're living? Do you really want to live an overcoming life? Or do you want to settle for the media, mediocre type of Christianity that you're living in today? Now, there are people that come to church, but they haven't made a decision. They haven't resolved within them that they're not satisfied, they don't like where they're at, and they want to do something about it, and they want to grow in the spiritual things of God. Not everybody wants to grow, and that's why not everybody grows. There are some people that are satisfied by living a mediocre type of Christianity, a life of uncommitment, no commitment whatsoever towards the things of God. They're more committed with the things of the world, but not committed with the things of God. Now, the type of Christianity that you find in the Apostle Paul, he was a man that was totally committed. He was a man that had a true and honest evaluation about himself. He was a man of integrity. He wasn't living a lie, but what he, he had on the inside, he also practiced on the outside. And this is what God wants from us this morning. So the starting point to live a victorious life, you must put on the belt of truth. Stop living a lie. Stop living a life of hypocrisy. If you're not where you should be, then be honest with God, be honest with yourself, and begin to do something about it. And when you begin to do something about it, then things will begin to happen. Now, the Apostle Paul brings out that, first of all, there should be the desire. The desire, the desire in your heart, if you're truly a child of God, and if somehow you're open and you have some sensitivity towards the things of God, you should have the desire that you want to please God. That desire should be in you. That's what makes you different from the people in the world. People in the world, there's no desire to serve God. But when we become a child of God, somehow there's a built-in desire that we want to please God. We don't want to live for ourselves, but we want to live for God. We want to serve Him. We, we, we want to please Him. We want to be what He wants us to be. That desire, first of all, should be inside of us. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, I'm going to ask you to turn to that scripture. You find that the Apostle Paul had the desire. 
His desire was to serve Jesus. In fact, uh, Dwight Thompson has a beautiful song, and he sings it real beautifully. It's my desire to be like Jesus. And, and every time he sings that song, I get broken because this should be the desire of the Christian, should be the desire to be like Jesus. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and beginning... In, in verse, uh, I see chapter 9, beginning in verse in 24, he says, do you, not, do, you know, do you not know that those who run the race all run, but one receives the prize? And then he says, run in such a way that ye may obtain it. Everyone who competes for a prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And then he goes on, listen to what Paul says. Therefore I run this, uh, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one that beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified or should become a castaway. Now you notice what he says? I'm not beating the air. He says, I am involved in a warfare, and my desire is to be like Jesus. So his desire be, is to be like Jesus, that meant discipline. I'm willing to discipline my life. And he says, and if the athletes are willing to discipline their lives for a, a, a perishable crown, then how much more should we discipline our lives and pay the price that has to be paid for a heavenly crown. So he says, I'm willing. He says, I, I discipline myself. I bring my body under subjection. I am willing to discipline myself so that I could be what God wants me to be. So that there should be the desire. But a desire is not good enough alone. There needs to be discipline, and not only discipline, but there needs to be sacrifice. Now, if you want to grow, when they call a prayer meeting, you should be at the prayer meeting. On Friday night, you want to grow? Stay after the service. How very few stay. You know, we're living in a, in a time where there's so little sacrifice. You know the type of Christianity that, that people want? People want a Christianity without sacrifice. It's not the Christianity that we find in the Bible. Uh, so many places, they go to church, but you better get me out at a certain time. Some churches, as soon as it hits 12 o'clock, if the preacher's still speaking, he'll be without a congregation because they all leave at 12 o'clock. They can't sacrifice a minute or a half hour after 12 o'clock. Well, that's not the type of Christianity that we find in the Bible. In the Bible, it talks about sacrifice, discipline, and sacrifice and the most beautiful thing to see is to see a congregation that is disciplined number one and a congregation that is willing to sacrifice so that the purposes of God will become a reality not only in their individual lives but the purposes of God will become a reality within their church so the desire first of all should be there and it's not only good desiring you know what we do we desire and then we say, okay, God, do it. 
but I'm not going to go to Friday night service. Uh, I'll come Sunday morning, but I don't know about Sunday night. Uh, I won't come to the, the prayer meetings because, as you know, God, I don't know how to pray, and I get kind of not used to praying, and, and I, I just, you know, fall asleep, you know. But you do it, God. You, you, you sap me. You know what a lot of people are waiting for? Like, I remember this kid when he first got saved. His name was Freddie. And this kid, uh, I mean, he, he, had, he, had, he had a kind of a struggles in his life. After his conversion, he was from, he was a drug addict in East L.A. That's when we first started out. And every time he would come up to me in every service, he wanted to get sapped. He would come up to me, and he knew that there was something lacking in him, but he wanted an overnight remedy. And he would come up, and he'd go like this to me, hey, Pastor Sonny. And he'd go, I look at him, well, what do you want? He goes, hmm. In other words, uh, Lay hands on me. And he go like that. Mm, and, you know. So I would come up to him and, okay, in the name of Jesus, mm, glory to God, and pray for him. And, pow, you know. And he would, ooh, go down. Then he get up and he, okay, he had enough of that day. You know, he go back and. Then the next service, he come back again. And all of a sudden, I look at him again. I said, oh, here he comes again. And he comes back again. Now, he, he was waiting, he was waiting to get sapped, and he, his concept of Christianity was uh, going from one sap to another sap, you know? From one uh, knockout to another spiritual knockout, he was expecting God to, to do everything, and without any effort from him whatsoever, I could imagine that maybe when he used to go out and try to live the Christian life, he'd probably fall and he'd fail, and, and the enemy would trip him up and he would get entangled, so he would come back again, and he figured by sapping him and laying hands on him, that the problem was solved. Well, Christianity is not as easy as that. Christianity, God says, I've done everything that I can for you. There isn't anything else that I could do. He said, I have made provision. I have provided for everything that you need to be an overcomer, to be a victorious child of God. And there isn't anything that is lacking in any else, anything else that I could do. What is he saying to you? The Apostle Paul is saying, what you need to do is put on the armor of God. Who puts it on? You put on the armor of God. All the provision is there, but we must, we must take advantage of all the provision that God has given unto us. We, may, we have to use the resources that God has given unto us. And how do we do that? By, the Apostle Paul says, Discipline, a word we don't like. How do you learn how to pray? How do you become a prayer warrior? By praying. By praying. You say, teach me to pray. Well, they give you a lot of concepts. And, oh, and you like, some people just like to listen to concepts. And, and give, me, give me the intellectual concept of prayer. And they get into the intellectual concept of prayer and and let me read this book, and let me read that book, and they know everything that there is about prayer, but they haven't practiced it. The only way you learn prayer is by praying. 
The only way you learn the Word of God and, and, and begin to develop an appetite for the Word of God, if you don't open up the Bible, if you don't read the Bible, if that Bible is sitting in your home and you don't read that Word of God, you will never develop an appetite for the Word of God. This is why every time the Word of God is going to be preached, you start falling asleep. Some people have an appetite for music, you know. Well, as long as everything, oh, the dancing, well, you know. Then as soon as you get serious with the Word of God, no appetite for God's word because you have never developed an appetite for God's word because you have never read the word of God so how do we fight this good fight well discipline the apostle Paul said I've learned how to discipline myself if the athlete could discipline himself for a worldly crown then I could discipline myself for a heavenly crown and then he also says he talks about sacrificing and in Romans 12 it talks about it says I beseech you therefore brethren listen to what it says in fact turn in your Bibles to Romans 12 Romans 12 says and it's a very uh, well-known scripture verses 1 and 2 and listen to what it says I beseech you there for brethren by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service now is he asking you to do something unreasonable he's saying it's your reasonable service and then he says and be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove. You know what does that word prove mean? That you may experience. That you may experience what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now you want the will of God in your life? Well, if you want the will of God in your life, there must be discipline. There must be commitment. There must be sacrifice. You want the will of God in your life? You must be committed. And what does it say? The good, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God in your life. Do you want true peace? You know how you get true peace? You want real peace? The only way you get real peace is when you have aligned your will with the will of God. Oh, that's a piece to say that everything that I do every day, I am moving, I am You know that no weapon form against you could prosper when you know that you are in the center of the divine will of God. You say, let it come whatever may. All I know that God has placed me here, and if God has placed me here, it is for a purpose, and I am in his hands. And God is a faithful God. So the will of God. Now, you notice that, I'm getting a lot of breath. Discipline. You notice that I speak on commitment. Some people don't like to hear that. Commitment, commitment. Why commitment? It's like a cuss word, commitment. I, I get feedback. I could tell by the faces, you know. I, 
see some cara de hachas looking at me sometimes, you know. In English is interpreted axe heads. I don't know. It's hard to interpret it. But, you know, some pastors are afraid to speak on commitment. You know why some pastors are afraid to speak on committed? Because they aren't committed themselves. It's not only the, the sheep that are uncommitted, a lot of sheep that are uncommitted, there's a whole lot of uncommitted pastors. You know that I've met pastors, you know, the pastors talk freely. They don't, they don't talk, they won't say things to their sheep or to you what they would say to another pastor. That's called shop talk, you know. And I see them in seminars sometimes, and, and, uh, and I, they say, how many people you got? You know, right? How many you got? Well, I say, I got, a, we got two services on Sunday morning, but we believe in God for, for another church, and we believe in God that we're going to take La Puente for Jesus, and, 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 and then we're not, only, we're not only reaching La Puente, but we want to reach around the world. And we're putting in New York, and we're putting in Europe, and we're putting here, and we're putting there. And they look at me and say, man, what are you doing that for? And then they say, man, I, I'll tell you, they, they, you know, I've, I've had, and this is a fact. You know, they told me, I could think of one preacher telling me, well, I have a congregation of 500 people and we're comfortable. He says, I will not rock the boat. I got it made. He says, all I do is give them the lessons, you know, I just, we have a, a we see he says our ministry is a close knit we're a body ministry we're a body ministry and it goes real body respect body ministry and and we're a, a close knit family and if we grow more than that we, we're not going to be as close knit and and by the way uh you know i i just don't want to grow no more i don't want no more headaches i don't want no more problems and uh, i'm just satisfied and i'm fine well, well, that person has come to a place of uncommitment. In fact, decay and death has already started within that church. How many know that if there isn't growth one way, if you, if you stop growing, you go the opposite direction? And God has, as always, God wants us to keep on growing. I don't mean numerically only. I'm talking about spiritually that we could have a vision, that we could say we want the purposes of God. God has something for us, that there is drive and enthusiasm and zeal inside of us, that we know that there's a purpose, a divine purpose of God, and we want to see that divine purpose of God become a reality. Now, in, when a church begins to grow, there is a, a tendency for it to start decreasing in commitment. You know why? Because people, and this is something that, a problem that we're facing here, but I'm not accepting it. Now, you know what happens? People begin to hide out. It's easier to hide out in a big church than a smaller church. In smaller churches, they eyeball you right away and, hey, you weren't in church. Or, hey, uh, how come you're not in this? How come you're not in that? In, in a big church, you could come and some, some sneak in. You know, they just come in real squirrely, in the door and sit over there, you know. And as soon as it's over, shoo, they're gone. No commitment. You know, you know, people that are uncommitted are not only uncommitted to God, but they're also uncommitted to the church. Like they say, uh, Sonny's my pastor, but I don't know Sonny. Well, I've never even gone up to shake his hand. 
you know what, what I, I feel a Christian should do, and I praise God for the people that do this. The people that if God leads you somewhere, you should go get up, and once you recognize that God has led you to that church, you should, you should, you should declare yourself and get up and go over to the pastor, go over to one of the leaders and say, listen, my name is so-and-so, and I want you to know that God has led me here to this church, and I want you to know that you can count on me, and if there's anything that I could do, whether sweep the floors or, or clean the restrooms, I am available because my life is committed to God, and I want to stand up and be counted. But most of the time, those people that are like that, they, they don't tithe. They don't support the church. You know that in most churches, only 20% of the people are the people that are supporting the church. That means 80% of the people are uncommitted also within their finances as well. If you're uncommitted unto God, if you, there's no commitment to God, there's no commitment in other areas of your Christian experience. Once you commit your life to God, all these other things fall into place. Because your life is right with God. And this is why we preach com commitment. Because we believe we're a church that God has given us a vision. So in commitment, what is it? Discipline and also sacrifice. Sacrifice. Gideon 300, sacrifice. I go on and on. Okay, so commitment. The breast, uh, then we go secondly to the breastplate of righteousness, and we're going to be finishing with this. We talked about the belt of truthfulness. Secondly, the second piece of armor, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, no Roman soldier would go into battle without his breastplate. He might get hit in a vulnerable place. And by the arrow of the enemy, he was careful about protecting the vital areas of his, uh, of his body by his breastplate. And the breastplate was a, a metal chest plate that covered from his neck to his thigh. And in those days, they went into combat, combat hand to hand. They had a sword, and they would go hand to hand into combat. So he had to be careful. He had to really protect the vital areas of his body. And one of the vital areas that he protected was his heart. That for sure he protected. He wanted to make sure that no one was going to spear his heart. He wanted to make sure that the sword wasn't going to hit his heart. He wanted to make sure that his heart was protected. So he guard his heart. And I believe that as Christians, we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness by also guarding our heart. Now, how do we guard our heart? I'll tell you how you guard our heart. You, we, we, we should take care of our heart. You know that we should always make sure that our heart is right with God. That is very, very important. That's why the psalmist said uh, 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 the, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart he will not despise. Now, you notice that when I pray, when I'm over here praying, I'm a crybaby when I pray. And this is something that when I get in a prayer meeting, if you come, you always see me with a handkerchief. Whereas if I got a handkerchief, I must have a handkerchief. If I get into a prayer meeting, because there's a tendency that I begin to weep and I begin to cry. And the reason why is because I found out a long time ago that if I'm going to communicate with God, if I am going to communicate with God, the most intimate 
type of communion that you could have with God. It is not a mind-to-mind -mind communion. It is not an intellectual communion that is effective before God. But when you communicate with God, you must communicate with God from your heart. It must be heartfelt communication unto God. So uh, whenever I find myself that I haven't wept and I haven't been broken, I get concerned. I tell you what, you got to watch over your heart. Do you know your heart could become hard and callous? That's exactly what sin does. Unconfessed sin calluses and hardens the heart. Every time you sin and you don't confess it, Every time you sin and you come to church and, and you walk out the same way without coming to the altar and, and getting that sin right in your life before God, every time you walk out, every time you step away from God, every time you turn your back on God and turn your back on the preaching when God is trying to speak to you, you're hardening your heart. And this is why there's some people that they say, I don't feel anything anymore. I don't have any desire to pray. I don't have no desire for the Word of God. I don't have any more compassion for God because they've been drifting away from God and their heart has become callous and hardened. So what is the, chest, uh, the, the breastplate of righteousness? Well, that was to protect the vital areas. And I think that we have to protect, first of all, we have to protect our hearts. That our hearts will always be sensitive before the presence of God. Now it's talking about righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now there's three kinds of righteousness that we find in the Bible. And I'm going to go through them real quickly. But I want your attention and we're going to wrap it up. First of all. The Bible speaks about self-righteousness. And there are people here maybe this morning that may be in that category. Secondly, the Bible speaks about imputed righteousness. Thirdly, it speaks about practical type of righteousness. Now, let's take, first of all, self-righteousness. Now, self-righteousness are the people who think they're righteous just because they are good people. How many people have you seen like that? I've seen some old-timers come into our church. Those old-times, veterans, come in. Serious. They sit down. They never make an altar call. Then they walk out. And, 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 and the reason why is because in, as far as they're concerned, they're right. They're right before God. I had an aunt like that. In, in Puerto Rico, there was an aunt that, that when, I, when I was a teenager, I was sent to Puerto Rico, and I, got, I was all messed up, you know. And they sent me from New York to Puerto Rico because they wanted to get me away from the city. <laughs> So they sent me to Puerto Rico. Then in Puerto Rico, you know, you go anywhere. You go to country anywhere. And if you want to, do, you want to be bad, you're going to be bad. How many know that? There's no geographical location. If you, you'll always find somebody that wants to be bad with you, you know. You'll always find some company. Well, I got, I got over to Puerto Rico, and, and they put me in a, in a, little, a little town in Puerto Rico, out in, out in a boondock somewhere. But it just so happens that the little town over there where my aunt was living... There was, a, there was an army barracks, and, and in the army barracks, there were some of the guys that were in the service that I knew from New York City. So all of a sudden, we started going out, and I started drinking and getting high, and I got so bad that my aunt called up my mom and said, listen, you better send for your son or he's going to die here. 
He is so bad that if you don't send for him, I can't be responsible for him. He's going to die. So naturally, my mom sent a ticket, and I went back to New York. But then after I got converted, I went back to Puerto Rico. Now I'm saved. And I go back, and I say, I'm going to witness to my auntie. And I go to visit her, and I start telling her, look at me, how different I am. And she says, that's good. That's wonderful, Sony. It's so good. And I said, but let me tell you, remember how I was before? And, and look at where I am now. She says, oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Then I said, well, you know that the same experience I've had, and I start witnessing to her, that you could have too. You know that Jesus saves. And he says, oh, Sony, I've always had him. She said, you needed him. You needed him, but uh, I've always, then she goes with, you know, she starts, I've always been a good person. I, I always go and I light my little candles and I pray to Saint so-and-so and I have never been like you and I've never done things you have done. I've always been a good person. I've always had God. And you know that I had a walk, I walked out of that house discouraged. I was trying to win me a soul. And I mean, I got bummed out. I walked out of there and I said, wow, she's hard, you know. And what was the problem with her? And until this day, she's still not safe. And, and the reason why is because of self-righteousness. Now, the Bible speaks about that. In fact, the Bible speaks about that, and Jesus said, Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And if there was anybody that really considered themselves righteous, the scribes and Pharisees, he says, You shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are we saved through faith, and that's not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In Isaiah 64, it says, All our righteousness is as filthy rags. So hear me now. If you're here this morning and you haven't had an experience with Christ, if you don't know whether you're saved, you ever see people say, Are you saved? And they say, I think so. You ever hear people say, I think so? Or you ever hear people say, the good Lord. Whenever they, you could tell by the terminology. Whenever they say, the good Lord takes care. I say, mm, that guy's not safe. The good Lord. They say some, somehow the way they, the terminology, the, the way they express themselves. You could tell when somebody really has the good. And not only can someone other Christian tell, but also the person that has had an experience with Christ in a matter of moments, you know without a shadow of doubt that something has taken place in your life, something supernatural. You may not be able to put it into words, but you know that something has happened on the inside. And it doesn't take a theologian to know when there's been a spiritual transformation within the life of an individual. So the righteousness, the type of righteousness, self-righteousness, will never get you into the kingdom of heaven. And you know, Paul brings it out in the Bible. The reason why he brings out about self-righteousness is because he was a self-righteous dude himself. You know, Paul, he, even, he says, you know, uh, uh, as far as self-righteousness, he said, I had it. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, if I come from the, the tribe of, of Benjamin. Uh, he said, uh, I was a Pharisee, 
and he starts bringing out all the things about him, and he says, if anybody could have trusted it in their self-righteousness, it could have been me. But I found out when I came before the presence of Jesus that my righteousness was as filthy rags. So self-righteousness will never get you into the kingdom of heaven. And then secondly, there's the other type of righteousness, imputed righteousness or positional righteousness. Now, what kind of righteousness is that? Well, it's the righteousness that I believe we all have, those that are saved. How many are saved? You got it. You got it. You have this righteousness that the Bible is talking about, imputed righteousness, positional righteousness. That's the righteousness that the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians when he says, For what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. My Lord, and for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now that righteousness is what you would call positional righteousness. That means that when you got saved, you were, the, you, you were washed by the blood. You know what happens to us? You know that we become holy the very moment you get saved? When the Father looks at you, he doesn't see sin anymore. You can see an alcoholic come up here and he gets saved. And as soon as he gets saved, when the father looks at him, he says, I don't see him as an alcoholic, but I see the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And we have the righteousness of Christ. So we stand holy and perfect and blameless before the presence of the father. That's imputed righteousness. But then also there's a third righteousness, and that's the one that we need here this morning. And this is the one that I'm talking about, and this is the one I'm not drilling, and this is the one that I, I, I want you, if anything, I want you to get this message, this righteousness is what we're talking about this morning. Practical righteousness. What do I mean by practical righteousness? Well, Paul states it very beautifully in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. When he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death, not as though I already attained it. What he's doing, forgetting the things which are behind and pressing forward to the things which are before, I press towards the goal for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What righteousness am I talking about? I'm talking about the experience that you have on the inside not only having the experience on the inside, but also demonstrating it on the outside. That you are walking what you profess to be. That you are practicing the life that you profess to have in Christ. That your walk, listen to me carefully, that your walk matches your inward experience in Christ. If you say you're holy, then you walk as somebody that is holy. If you say you're consecrated, then you walk as somebody that is consecrated. That you will be able to walk to Christ's walk. This is the righteousness that the Apostle Paul is talking about. Now, we cannot exercise it 
if there's sin in your life, as long as you have sin, listen, you have sin this morning, you're defeated. If there's sin in your life, if there's compromise in your life this morning, the whole message, you're not going to be able to apply it. You, you're gonna, if, if it's unconfessed sin, you're, you're defeated even before you try to get the victory. And I'll tell you what happens to you. We cannot exercise, we cannot excuse sin in our lives. And uh, what are the consequences of the sin? I'll tell you what the consequences of the sin is. First of all, there is a loss of joy. You don't have the joy. Now, there are people in the world that could have a good time in a party, but you can't because there's a, a tormenting experience. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That's why it says the Christian cannot sin and get away with it. If you sin, there's a heavy penalty that you have to pay. You're tormented. Oh, I should have done it. I should have done it. Oh, oh, God. Oh. When those other people out there are sinning all the time and don't have any conscience whatsoever. But you're a child of God. There is a holiness that inside, is inside of you. There's a Holy Spirit that's inside of you. There's a Holy Spirit that's telling you to walk that Christian walk and, and live that Christian life. So what it actually does, sin, robs the joy from you. Joy. The joy may be full. When you are obedient to God, obedience is what brings joy in your life. You want joy? You want your joy to be full? Be obedient. Be obedient to God and you'll have joy. 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 The fullness of his joy. And not only the joy, but also his blessing. He will bless everything that you do. There'll be a blessing upon your life that everybody will be able to acknowledge because you're serving God and you're being obedient to God. You want God's blessing? Be obedient to him. So there is joy and there's blessings when you're obedient to him. Secondly... There's also a loss of fruitfulness when there's sin in your life, when you're not serving him the way you should. When you don't have the armor, there is a, a loss, a lack of fruitfulness. You become unproductive. You become unfruitful. And how ugly it is for an unfruitful Christian. You, you ever see a, a tree that's not bearing fruit? What is it good for? Nothing. Good for nothing, right? A tree that is, no, that is not bearing fruit, you should take it and throw it in the fire, right? So how many Christians are there that are not bearing fruit? And they hear me now. A Christian that is not bearing fruit is good for nothing. En otra palabra, no sirve para nada. Good for nothing. How many good-for-nothing Christians exist? It kind of, heavy, heavy terminology. I know it. I'm saying, a preacher don't have love. I have love, but I'm telling you like it is. What we're doing this morning is trying to shake you up somehow, get you mad enough, stir it up enough. And you're going to say, enough is enough, and that old devil's had me long enough. I'm going to follow Jesus and give my life to Jesus. You don't bear fruit, you, 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 you're unfruitful when there's sin within your life, when there's lack of commitment within your life, you become an unfruitful Christian. 
unproductive Christian. And then last of all, not only that, but also there's a loss of opportunity. Now let me tell you this. There are open doors that God gives you and opportunity. The Apostle Paul said, he said, I want to apprehend that for which I was apprehended. He recognized that he had a time span. And every one of you have a time span. You only have so many years to glorify God and serve God on this earth, on this world. And all that time that passes by, you will never be able to regain it. The Bible says, work while it is day, for the night cometh when no man shall be able to work. And there are some of you that are saying, tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. And God is saying, today is the day. Work while it is day, for night cometh when no man shall be able to work. Listen, you could never recapture lost time. Time is something when you spend it, you spend it. And there are doors of opportunity that God wants to give you. God wants to use you. God wants to bless you. But it's up to you to take advantage of the opportunity. He has set before you an open door. And it's up to you to take the opportunity and take advantage of the opportunity now that God has given you. When is the time for commitment? Now. When is the time for holiness? Now. And let me say, conclude with this. You know what we have sometimes in our churches? For everything we have seminars and retreats. And half of the time those retreats don't have any effect. I'll tell you why. Because we're dealing with the symptoms and not dealing with the cause. You, you, get, you want people to get their lives right? You want your marriage right? You want your marriage right? You want to get rid of those complexes? You want to get rid of those guilt feelings? You want to get that mind of yours together? Well, I'll tell you how to do it. Begin to seek God. Begin to live a life of holiness. Begin to commit your life to Jesus Christ, and all things will fall into place. It is not more knowledge that you need. It is not more information that we need. We need people that are willing to sacrifice themselves and lay their lives on the altar of sacrifice and commit their lives to Christ. And when you do that, then things will begin to happen. All these problems will be solved. You won't need counseling. You won't need counseling. You'll have a victory that you never had in your life. When you give your life over to Jesus Christ and commit your life to Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying? Paul is pleading and saying, put your armor on. And what do I say to you this morning? The same words the Apostle Paul is telling you, put your armor on. Don't let it just lie there. Put your armor on so that you could stand in that evil day. That evil day could be tomorrow. That evil day could be today. Put your armor on. This is war. We're in war. You need to put your armor on so you can stand against that evil day. What are the two pieces of armor? The belt of truthfulness. Truth. Breastplate of righteousness. That's where we begin. And we'll be headed. We're heading towards a victorious life. The type of life that God wants us to We pray that this message has encouraged you to grow in your walk with God. 
To hear more messages, visit www.visionintlstore.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.